Okay, we should be in uh, the book of Philemon, and uh, I, I want us, if we can, uh, to look at just a few, a few verses. Let's, let's begin reading in verse number 8. We'll read down through verse number 10, where, where Paul writes, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Now tonight as we uh, jump into this text, we're going to look at Paul here as he makes an, uh, an appeal to Philemon, which really is the purpose of this particular letter that Paul is writing. And uh, again, just to give a little bit of background, the book of Philemon was written by the Apostle Paul to Philemon. Uh, who was likely the pastor of the church at Colossae. At the very least, the church at Colossae met in Philemon's house. Uh, we learn of that here in the early portion of this book, verses 1 and 2, where Paul commends him and greets him and his family, as well as the church that met in his house. And then if we compare what's found there in Colossians chapter number 4, we discover in verse number 17 uh, that, that Archippus, who is, is referenced here in verse number 2, uh, had a ministry of that particular church, and so it is very possible that maybe this was a church that was sort of co-pastored by Philemon and his son Archippus, or maybe it's possible that Archippus was the lead pastor and Philemon was just a man who was hosting this church in his home there in Colossae. But at a previous point, a man by the name of Onesimus had been a servant of Philemon's, but he had stolen some of Philemon's goods and he had run away from uh, his master to Rome where he had hoped to start a new life of freedom. And of course, while in Rome, Paul, the apostle, met him and shared the gospel with him. And of course, we read this book and we discover that Onesimus was converted and he became a believer in Christ as a result of Paul's faithful witness. And, 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 and we gather that Paul taught him uh, the importance of restoration, uh, of making some things right that uh, he had done previously, and, and he urged him to return back to Philemon so that he could express his remorse and he could ask for his forgiveness for doing what he had done a certain amount of time ago. And of course, uh, this letter is what Paul sends with Onesimus back to Philemon. In other words, he says, listen, I can't go, I'm in bondage, but here's what I can do. I can write a letter on your behalf. And if you'll carry that letter, I have a relationship with uh, Philemon, your, your master. And if you'll go and you'll humble yourself before him, and if you'll explain what God has done in your life, and if you'll give him this, what obviously is an inspired letter by the Holy Spirit of God, uh, Lord willing, those two things, your humility and your sincere and authentic uh, repentance coupled with this letter that I'm writing will result in Philemon desiring to be reunited with you and restoration to take place. Now, as we get started tonight, by way of introduction, I, I, I want us to understand that many Christians struggle with, with really how to how to be made right with those that perhaps they have offended or maybe from the other side of things, maybe they struggle with how to uh, be right with someone who has offended them. And uh, how, do we, how do we work through those, 
particular elements. Um, uh, what, what is necessary as it relates to, you know, do you go to every person that you've ever offended as you think through your life and uh, try to make, you know, those decisions, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I did this, I said this, uh, therefore, you know, man, I, I, I need to go back to that person. How do we, how do we work through these types of things in order to be right with God, but also right with our fellow man. Jesus himself taught that if, that if a believer trespasses against another believer, then the offended brother was to go to that person to seek a resolution. If the brother was to repent, then he was, he was under the obligation to forgive. And I just want us to, just by way of introduction, just briefly look at what Christ taught um, the truths that he taught regarding repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. So let me, just, let me just start here, and let me just say this. Number one is that we ought to keep private matters as private as possible. We're to keep private matters as private as possible. Now hold your place there in the book of Philemon, and go with me to Matthew chapter number 18. Of course, this is the classic passage in which Jesus is teaching his followers, his disciples, these truths, and notice what he says, because there's some really key words here. You see them even on your screen uh, in front of you. He says in verse number 15, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, that means if he shall offend you, if he shall hurt you, go and tell him his fault. Now notice the next phrase, between thee and him, what's that next word? Alone. Alone. Boy, that's a, that's a key word, isn't it? You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, listen, listen, keep, uh, keep offenses as private as possible. You know what, you know what we specialize in? We specialize in, in, in letting the whole world know when someone has hurt us or offended us. We're really good at that, aren't we? Do you know what brother so-and-so said? Do you know how they looked at me? Do you know I walked past that? They didn't even bother to say hello. They ignored me. They turned their nose up at me. Can you believe? You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, why are you telling other people that? If you're really hurt, if you really feel like a trespass has occurred or an offense has occurred, then you have an obligation in order to be obedient to the teaching of Christ. You have an obligation, you have a duty to go to that person and to say, listen, I don't know what was going through your mind at this point in time, but I've been struggling with this. I feel as though you sort of were disrespectful to me or you said something that was hurtful to me or, or whatever the, the offense was. And, you, and, and it, listen, that is to stay between you and that person alone. Keep private matters as private as possible. Listen, your best chance at resolution, my best chance at resolution is to keep private matters as private as possible. It will not be well. It will not be well if you have, you have talked to a host of others about how your brother has trespassed against you before going to the person that you want to be, to be in a right relationship with. And now all of a sudden that person has had opportunity to learn, well, yeah, you're coming to me and you're telling me, but why didn't you come to me first? Instead, you went to brother so-and-so and this person and that person. Or, or, or in today's day and age, you uploaded your offenses on Facebook or you, uh, you know, you, you did, you know, you sent out an email blast to everybody that you know. So, so Jesus' teaching here is so very, very important. Now, understand as you continue to read this passage down the road, there may come a time or need to involve others. 
If that first meeting does not go the way that you had anticipated and the offense is serious enough, the trespass is serious enough, then there is, there is Christ teaching there in verses 16 and 17 that you gather, listen, one or two more. But don't you notice, don't you notice that we're keeping this circle of those who are aware of what has happened as small as we possibly can? Me and you, if I can't get a resolution, all right, well then let me grab maybe one or two others that are trusted, that are respected, that are folks that maybe are mutually admired between both parties so that they can hear this matter and try to settle this matter. And if that still doesn't work, at the very end, tell it to the church. And we say, tell it to the church. I don't know if necessarily know that he's even saying, tell it to the entire church. I think he may just be saying, tell it to the leaders of the church so that the leaders of the church can help to settle this matter, this dispute between two individuals who are members of the same body. So Christ taught, keep private matters private as possible. Notice number two, I think we discover that things taken, we're talking about restoration, we're talking about what, what do I need to do if, if, if I've offended someone, what, what, how do I handle this, how am I in right relationship with people? Things taken should be returned. In other words, you're, you're okay, what do, I need, what do I need to say or what do I need to do? Now listen, if you, if you had a run-in with somebody 25 years ago, and maybe you, you know, you flew off the handle, you said something you shouldn't have said, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know that that's something that you need to go back to them 25 years later. You know, there's something called a statute of limitations for a reason, right? I mean... The truth of the matter is, if, if all of us decided that, man, I, in order to be as right with everyone as I possibly can, I've got to go to every person I've ever offended, well, that's going to be a full-time job for some of you, you know, really for all of us. So, so we're trying to differentiate, okay, what are things that need, what are things that need to be brought to the, to the surface in order to be right? And I would just say that things that have been taken should be returned. Now, go with me to Luke chapter number 19, please. Luke chapter number 19. We're getting a little bit of feedback here. I'm not sure what that is. But Luke chapter number 19. If it's this mic again, I've got a, I've got a handheld up here if we need to use it. We've had, we've had some issues with this. So Luke chapter 19. And of course, this is the familiar passage of Scripture involving um, Zacchaeus. Oh, there you go. I'm sorry about that. Uh, and look what, look, what, look what happens with Zacchaeus as he meets the Lord and as he is made right with the Lord. In, uh, in, his, in his life. Look what he says in verse, verse number 8. Luke chapter number 19, verse number 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Now notice the next phrase. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now, Zacchaeus took it to another level altogether. Zacchaeus didn't just restore what he had taken, but he paid interest on what he had taken. And that's really what he's saying. Not only am I giving it back to him, but I'm going to repay it fourfold, four times over what it was that I, that I took from him. So when Zacchaeus met Christ, he was forever changed. And he sought diligently to restore things that he had taken in a dishonest manner. Now, I have to think to myself that as a tax collector, he likely had taken a whole lot of things dishonestly over the years. And I don't exactly know how he went about doing all of this. Uh, perhaps as, as he made his, you know, his rounds and as he met up with folks that he had done business with in the past. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if he sat up somewhere and said, 
put out, took out an ad in a newspaper and just said, listen, if I've offended you, you can come and you can, I don't know how he went about doing it, but I believe that his desire was sincere and I believe the Lord was pleased with this desire. And I have to tell you that uh, what he pledges to do here is steep, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is a high threshold to take that, which, you know, you have taken over the period of who knows how long and to restore it fourfold. But listen, when Christ does a work in a heart and in a life, there is no price that is too high to pay in order to be right with him. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus is desiring to do. He wants to be right with God and he wants to be right with others. And what a testimony, what a testimony that, he, that he gives. But notice, notice there's, a third, there's a third truth that we learn in Scripture, and that is this. Number three, sincere repentance should be met with sincere forgiveness. Sincere repentance should be met with sincere forgiveness. Now, go, ba- go back to Luke 17. You're already in Luke 19, so just turn back a couple of chapters. And look in verse number three, where Jesus says, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Now, that's already what he taught in Matthew chapter number 18. You've gone to him, and you're trying to settle the matter. And that's the rebuking part of it. You said this. You did this. You offended me. You trespassed against me. So go to your brother, rebuke him. But notice, notice, and if he repent, forgive him. Forgive him. You know, I got to thinking, why would Jesus teach something like this? And I... And I just have to tell you that if you stop to think about it, all of us in this room, we have been forgiven of much more, of much more than our brother will ever offend us with. Amen. Every one of us. In other words, God has, God has forgiven you of a hundred, a thousand, perhaps a million times more than what you and I will ever be offended by from another brother or another sister. Therefore, it would not be right for us to have received so much in the realm of forgiveness from God. A forgiveness, listen, that, that, really, that, that really is never withhold, withheld from us. You come to the Lord, we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and he is just. That means he does it every single time. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if that's what the Lord does for us, why should we do anything less for others? If that's the type of, of grace and mercy and forgiveness that we have received throughout our lives, and undoubtedly it is, then, 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 then it would be wrong. It would be, it would be unfair for us to withhold that same type of forgiveness from others. Now, I have to tell you, this is hard to do. And, and that's evidenced by the disciples' response when Jesus taught this. Look in verse number, uh, verse number five. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. You know what they're saying? They're saying, Lord, what you're asking us to do is really hard. And it's going to require increased faith. When was the last time you asked the Lord to increase your faith? That's, a, that's a, perhaps a good prayer request we ought to start implementing into our lives. You've heard me say this even recently. We're so, we're, we're so good at, at, at looking at every little physical ailment we have and every little financial need that we have. And I believe God wants to hear from us in those matters. When was the last time you prayed a spiritual prayer request to the Lord? When was the last time you got down on your face and you said, Lord, you know, I, I came across something in your word that's really hard to do. But I want to do it. I want to be faithful. I want to be obedient. But Lord, I can't do it unless you increase my faith. Lord, increase our faith. That's what's being taught here in this particular text. Now, Paul understood. Paul understood that what he was asking Philemon to do would be hard. 
That's really what the, the whole premise is about. And that's as he approaches him in this, in this particular text. So we've looked at verses 8, 9, and 10. He is, setting, he is setting things up because he's getting ready to say to Philemon, you know, that, you know that guy that really hurt you and really offended you? I'm going to ask you to restore him. And, and, and we're going to discover how he makes this appeal in this text. And I think it is so very, very fascinating uh, I, I want you to notice that Paul writes to Philemon, and he does, he commends him. We've talked about that, for being a strong man of faith. He commends him for having a tremendous family. His, his wife is mentioned in verse number 2, and his son is mentioned in verse number 2, Aphia and Archippus. He commends him for uh, his relationship with his friends and the, just really the routine that, uh, that Philemon is in of just really refreshing folks when he comes around them. Uh, that, those are all the commendations that are made. But, but then he... But, but then he then he, the, the, the letter changes just a little bit because he sort of made these compliments and now he's transitioning. He's saying, okay, now I've got a request to make of you. And so that's where we're at tonight. Now, I want you to notice three things about, about this appeal that Paul makes to Philemon that I think are just so very, very helpful as we think about working through issues with one another, uh, perhaps dealing with interpersonal relationships, Maybe, maybe this could be something that would be good in your home as it relates to your relationship with your spouse or your relationship with your children. Or perhaps you are the child, your relationship with your parents, depending on where you're at and all of that. Perhaps this, uh, this would be good counsel as it relates to uh, your situations at work or maybe in the neighborhood. But no doubt, this is, this is going to be good counsel for as we relate with one another here in the church. Number one, number one, we discover in this text that in making this appeal, Paul refuses to exercise his apostolic rights. As he makes this appeal, he refuses to exercise his apostolic rights. Now look at verse number eight. He says, wherefore, though I might, though I might be. In other words, he's saying, you know, I could do this. I could. I have the right to be, to be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee or to require thee that which is convenient, that which is befitting. In other words, here's, here's what Paul is saying. Uh, Paul is saying, listen, I have much authority as an apostle. And everybody understood it. Everybody knew that if you were in that church world during this point in time and the apostle Paul asked you to do something, most people were just under the impression, well, man, that's the man of God. Therefore, therefore, we better go ahead and do it because he's following God. Remember, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So, so the apostle Paul is writing here. He says, listen, he's saying, I, I, I could do this. I could be much bold to make some demands in this matter. I mean, really, we're talking about, we're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about restoration. These things are entirely Christian virtues. So if you're finally, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a leader in the church, well then, well then by, by, by just the right thing to do, I could just say, this must be done. And we can walk away from this thing altogether. But notice that Paul refuses, listen, he refuses to strong arm Philemon in this matter. Now, now I just want to say a couple of things about this because I believe it's really, really important. And let me just say, first of all, that manipulated or coerced spiritual decisions are worthless. Manipulated or coerced spiritual decisions are absolutely worthless. Boy, we can, we can really fall into the trap of getting our way. Every matter is of your own. I don't know how long that would 
we would last in a, in a situation in today's day and age in which we just demanded, you know, dictator style, do this. If you don't do it, man, you're out of here. By the way, I think that's poor leadership. I don't think that's a biblical style of leadership. And I definitely, I definitely see Paul himself even sort of turning away from that style of leadership. But you know as well as I do that there are some church cultures and there are some churches in which, man, man, everybody just looks at the man of God. And if he says jump, then we just say how high. And, 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 and there are places in which, man, we can, you know, man, we could, we could use some language or we could, you know, we could speak suggestively in, in, in a certain way. Or, or we could just, at the end of the day, we could just grab that arm and just twist it as hard as we possibly could until someone says, you know, all right, uncle, uncle, I'll do what you want me to do. But I think Paul is, 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 is hitting the heart of something here. And that is this. Listen, if I demand, if I demand that you're restored to one another. If I demand that you just do this without asking any questions whatsoever and without really having a heart to do it, then really the relationship has not been restored as much as we think it has been restored. Because manipulated or coerced spiritual decisions, forcing someone to do something is usually not all that effective. Here's here's what you'll discover. You'll discover a man will say just about anything about decisions that are made under duress. A man will say just about anything to get relief. And when he is at last at peace, he will quickly return to his former habits. So if Paul just demands this, then Philemon very likely might put up a facade of, okay, yeah, we're right, we're we're good, we're good, he and I are good. But behind closed doors, Philemon is not good. Because he doesn't have a heart for it. He's been made to do something. You know, I, I just discovered... In 22 and a half years of gospel ministry, I've just discovered that the Holy Spirit of God is a whole lot better at doing His job than I am. And you know, I can, I, I can do ministry in the power of the flesh, and I can try to be really clever and really creative and really, you know, uh, play on your emotions and, and, and tug on your heartstrings, or, or I can just preach the gospel <laughs> and let God do His thing. And I just have to tell you that when God does His thing... It lasts. And when I do my thing, it falls flat on its face. And it doesn't last very long. And I just have to tell you, listen, that's good in the home. As you work with your children. You know, sometimes, sometimes we just want our children just to conform. And I just have to tell you that they'll conform until they're no longer under a situation where they have to conform. And at that point in time, many of them will run the absolute opposite direction, 120 miles an hour. And we'll be left scratching around and say, where did that come from? I never saw it coming. Never saw it coming because what you were making them to do had no impact or effect upon their heart. It's worthless. And Paul understood that. But I want you to notice there's a second thought that I gather from this because of Paul's writing. And that is this. Listen, just because I have the right to do it doesn't mean I should. Paul Paul here pretty much had the right to demand of Philemon do this because it's the right thing to do. Listen, just because I have the right to do something doesn't mean that I should. Paul likely had the right to require Philemon's obedience, but that didn't mean that he should do so. So often, listen, we do what we do simply because we can. Paul's exercised restraint here is very, very wise, but it's also very, very unusual. And I just have to think that he probably coupled the first principle with this one. In other words, he's in this mind saying, I could require or demand him to do this, but that would not be a meaningful resolution or restoration. 
So again, this is, this is coming, this is coming from the same man who wrote the following under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. All things are lawful for me. I can do all things, but all things edify not. Or but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. You know, Paul, you know, Paul is, is writing here in Philemon. He's saying, listen, I'm not here to seek my own. I'm here, I'm here because the best thing for the two of you is to be restored. It's the best thing for the two of you. It's the best thing for the body of Christ. It's the best thing for the testimony of Christ here in this world. And he's, he's saying, listen, I'm not seeking my own. If I were seeking my own, then I would just demand something of you. But I've already sworn that off in my ministry model. I've already determined that I am not going to just do things simply because I can even though it may be lawful for me, it may not be expedient or it may not be the best thing. Sometimes we spend our whole lives saying, well, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? I think the question probably ought to be something higher than just what's wrong with it. We ought to be looking for something greater than that. I just have to tell you, it's refreshing to me to see a man in this book of Philemon practicing what he preaches. Which is what I think Paul seems to be doing here and how he approaches this matter by refusing to exercise his apostolic rights. But notice, secondly, I think as we move to verse number nine, we discover that in making this appeal, Paul employs relationship as a motivator towards restoration. So not only does he resist exercising his apostolic rights, so, okay, if you're, gonna, if you're not going to exercise your apostolic rights, well, then what are you, how are you going to make this appeal? And here's how he makes the, this appeal. He makes this appeal using relationship as a motivator toward restoration. Look in verse number nine. He says, yet, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. Now, notice the first element that speaks of relationship is this idea of love. Yet for love's sake. Instead of demanding that Philemon obey him, Paul uses something much more effective and much more appropriate. He uses love. Have you ever looked at someone and just said, do you really love me? If you really love me, would you, would you help me with this? Would you help me with that? You know, you're raising little children. Do you really, do you really love me? Then if you love me, would you just make your bed every morning? Do you really love me? Brush your teeth for crying out loud. You know, put your shoes away. Married couples, do you really love me? Well, that one habit you do is sort of annoying to me. Do you really love me? Can you, you know, can I make an appeal to you in this? I mean, it's sort of what he's, it's sort of what he's saying here. He's saying for love's sake. Now, I'm not, I'm not, asking, I'm not asking you, Philemon, to do this because, because I'm an apostle and I'm demanding this. Instead, I, I want to ask you, Philemon, do you really love me? Do you really care about me? It's much more effective and appropriate. It was Paul who wrote... In 1 Corinthians 13, that charity never fails. So it's no wonder that he, he's using this tactic as opposed to just demanding that, that, that Philemon does exactly what he says. He also, he also wrote that of the, of the Christian virtues, charity is the greatest. Amen. Charity never fails, and charity is the greatest, which might, again, be why he utilizes this approach. Imagine how much more effective you and I might be if we employed love instead of our rights or our authority to have or to do something. Now think about that for a moment. You know, as we're working in interpersonal relationships, instead of just going to someone and saying, well, then you need to do this because I said so. And I have the authority to force you to do this. What if we went to them and just said, hey, how's our relationship? You love me, don't you? 
We're in a good place, aren't we? I'm, I'm, looking for, I'm looking out for your needs. You're looking out for my needs. Can we, can we have a conversation about this particular thing and how it's affecting me, how it's impacting me, how it's influencing me? At some point, Paul and Philemon had developed a gospel-centered relationship. We can't say for certain, but most scholars believe, based on what Paul writes in Philemon 19, that Philemon's salvation came about as a result of Paul's ministry. Do you see it there? If you're back in Philemon, look in verse number 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest aught, excuse me, owest unto me even thine own self besides. Most people read that and say, that's probably, he's probably speaking of a spiritual debt that that Philemon, you know, could never repay. That, that's probably what's, what's being referenced there, though we can't, can't, can't say for sure. And I just have to tell you, if you know Christ, there is, there is no doubt a human instrument that God used as a guide to help you to discover eternal life. And that's, that's the relationship these two men share with one another. And I had an opportunity to address the smite workers on Saturday morning. And I, talked out of, I, I spoke to them out of Acts chapter number 8. And of course, that's the story of Philip who is led into the desert to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch's reading a copy of the scriptures, but he doesn't understand it. And when he asks the question, Philip asks the question, do you understand what you're reading? And he, and he replies with this. I think the words are on the screen, maybe. He, he says, how can I? Acts chapter number 8. Go to the next verse. Verse number 30. Yeah, there it is. There, verse number 31. And he said, how can I, except some man should guide me? If you're saved tonight, you are, you are in the same place as that eunuch was. Somebody came to you and said, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know what that says? Do you understand what that means to you personally? And likely, though you didn't use those same words, in essence, you looked at that person and said, I can't unless you explain it to me. Who, who was that person that explained the gospel to you? You ever stop to think about that for a moment? Who was the person that poured that into you? For many of you, maybe you grew up in a Christian home, so it's your parents who loved you enough to share Christ's gospel with you. Others of you didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so maybe it was a co-worker. Maybe it was, you know, a, a fellow service member in the military. Or maybe it was a preacher or a youth pastor or a, a friend in school or whatever the case might be. But someone loved you enough. Someone cared about you enough to, 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 to explain, to help guide you to an understanding of eternal life. Don't you love that person? I mean, don't you have... Fine. Fine. That person may have been dead for a long time, but if that person's still alive and that person comes to you and they say, listen, I want to ask a favor of you. I want to make an appeal to you. Man, I, I would just think if you love the Lord, then you're going to love that person and say, man, as long as if I have the power within me to do it, I'm going to do it because I have so much love for you because you were the one who guided me to salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's really what's being said here. So there's relationship that is being spoken of. But notice, not only do we discover relationship in the, word, in the word love there in the beginning of that verse, but we also discover relationship at the end in, in, the, word res, in the word respect. Though that word is not found there, it's, it's, it's all over it. Look what he says there. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, that being such and one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now in most relationships, in order for that relationship to work, there, there must be love, Mutual love and mutual respect. And you know that the Apostle Paul wrote that these are the two primary needs in a husband and wife relationship. We learned of that in Ephesians chapter number 5. He signs that chapter off by saying in verse number 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her, her husband. 
Most Bible scholars read that and they'll tell you, they'll tell you that a man's primary need is to be reverenced or to be respected. And a woman's primary need, that doesn't mean, that's a primary need, it doesn't mean there aren't any other needs, but those are the primary needs. This is, this is how we can communicate, hey listen, I'm for you, this relationship matters to me, I'm on your side. A woman's primary need is, is love. So, so Paul has appealed to the love that Philemon had for him, and he now appeals to the respect that Paul had earned as a motivator to do the right but difficult thing here. Now Paul refers to two areas that Philemon no doubt would have respected concerning Paul in this text. Number one, number one, he talks about his age. His age. He, he, he's saying, listen, he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to you. I'm appealing to you not, not with my rights being demanded, but instead I'm, I'm appealing to you in love. And then I'm also appealing to you, do you respect me? Do you look up to me? Do you consider me a mentor, a leader in your life? Do I have that respect? Listen, I'm making this appeal to you as an aged man. In this culture, older men were given more respect, much more respect. Most, most believe that Paul was probably around the age of 60 when this letter was written. But if you would have seen him, if you would have seen him, likely he looked much older than 60. And here's why. Because his body had suffered many, many things for the cause of Christ. He had been beaten. He had been shipwrecked. He had been left for dead. He had been stoned. He had been imprisoned time and again in stocks and bonds, sleepless nights, on the hard ground, cold at night, really hot during the day. I mean, his body had no doubt been through the war, so to speak. So that when you looked at him, oh man, he might have been 60, but perhaps he looked to be a much, much older man. He references a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that thorn in the flesh was, but perhaps that thorn in the flesh was something that you could visibly see. Or perhaps maybe it's man, it was manifestation was something that you could visibly see. His age and physical appearance, again, would have been a sign of his wisdom and his maturity, Philemon would have revered Paul's words and would have revered Paul's influence based upon his aged status. And so Paul uses an appeal to that. Listen, would you, would you do this for me as Paul the aged? You ever see someone as they're maybe getting a little bit older and you almost sort of start to feel sorry for them? You know, and so we, we don't know we do that. Sometimes we, we rush to help them. I think that's a good thing. And if you maybe in a place in which an older person maybe is struggling to get into the door, man, show some respect. Run over to that door and open it and help them. You know, you've heard the old adage of helping a dear old lady across the street. Do it. Do it. That's the type of respect that those people should receive from us as aged people. I, I think that perhaps maybe Paul is saying here, listen, I, I, I don't know how much longer I have. I don't want to die I want to die knowing that, that my life has made an impact on people. I want to die knowing that two people that I've personally led to Christ are no longer at odds with one another. So would you consider my age and understand that I may not have a whole lot of time left and would you perhaps do this for me because you understand that that's the state that I'm in? So respect, respect my age, but notice secondly, respect his suffering. His suffering. He says at the end of verse number nine, he says, such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now I love that Paul, Paul doesn't refer to himself as a prisoner of Nero or prisoner of Rome. He says, he says listen, I'm, these people haven't been in prison. God's allowed this. I'm just a prisoner of Jesus Christ. 
That, that's who has me in bondage. And if that's where he wants me, then so be it. Philemon, considering where Paul was and considering the relationship that they'd enjoyed and the love they had for one another, Philemon likely would want to do just about anything to cheer the heart of one who had suffered so much and was presently in a position of distress. I think to myself that the guillotine of Nero loomed over the Christian world and Paul was the physical leader of the movement at this time. And they all knew it. And Philemon's understanding of the present condition in which Paul found himself in, the bonds of imprisonment, uh, would have no doubt uh, hopefully produced within him a strong desire to bless and encourage him by fulfilling this request. Listen, I can't get you out of jail. Uh, I can't physically remove you from that place. But here's what I can do. I can rejoice your heart by doing what you've asked me to do. Being in a right relationship with someone that you and I both have a mutual interest and relationship with. Now notice the third thing and the final thing we see that Paul requests. He, gets, he finally gets to the point. He said, I'm not going to ask you to do it because of this, but I am going to ask you to do it in this way. Notice the third thought. Paul requests Philemon receive and restore Onesimus. And that's what really the whole letter's about. And Paul finally arrives at the reason. He's given his introduction. He's, he's, he's building a case. I'm getting ready to ask you to do something really hard. And I'm not going to ask you to do it because I, I'm just going to demand you to do it. I don't want to do it that way. I don't think that would be profitable. I don't think it would be a good thing. I, I think ultimately that would not lead in, into the right place where we want to be. Instead, I'm going to ask you because of love and because of your respect for me. And now here it is. Boom. Verse number 10. I beseech thee. I beg thee. I plead with thee. For my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Now, I just, want, I just want to point out two key thoughts from that one verse, and we'll be done tonight. And let me just say that we learn, we learn from this appeal. Number one, that God can save anybody. God can save anybody. And that, isn't that what he's saying here? I, I mean, Philemon had no good thoughts about Onesimus. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Onesimus was a thief. Onesimus was a lawbreaker. By law, by law, Onesimus should die. He should die to, 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 to pay for his crimes. That, that's what the law would have required of runaway slaves who have stolen from their masters. That's who he was. And yet, and yet, look how beautiful this is. Paul is now referring to Onesimus in the same way he referred to Timothy. Same, same, same reference there. He calls Timothy my own son in the faith, doesn't he? And doesn't he call Onesimus my son? Timothy, listen, Timothy had grown up, the, Paul wrote about him, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Timothy had grown up in a godly home with a mom and a grandma who poured into him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that was how Timothy grew up. Onesimus likely did not grow up the same way. I don't, we don't know exactly how Onesimus grew up, but, but it's obvious that he's an adult man now. He is a runaway slave and he is a thief when he meets Paul and he's finally introduced to the gospel and he finally understands what all of that means. And yet, and yet Paul looks at both of these men and he refers to them in the same term. That's my son. Regardless of what he's done in his past. Jesus Christ, listen, he unites us all together. In, in Christ, listen, in Christ there is, no, there is no past. Those things are forgotten about. Those things are buried in the depths of the deepest sea as far as the east is from the west. Listen, God can save anybody. God can save Onesimus. God can save your vile co-worker. 
If God can save Onesimus, God can save uh, your wicked family member. If God can save Onesimus, a runaway slave and a thief, God can save your wicked neighbor that lives next door or down the street or across the street. God can save anybody. Who's the one person? Right now, who's the one person that God... That, that person will never get saved. That person will never get saved. Monday night, we were out door knocking. Knocked on the door of a man. And he answered... Began to talk a little bit. He introduced himself to me. I introduced myself to him. Told me that he was born and raised in Kenya. He made a move over here with his family. And he, and he identified himself as Muslim. He was Muslim. And I just have to tell you, when he said that, I nearly, I nearly just said, you know, well, here's the track, and, and we'll, be, we'll be on our way. We'd love to have you visit us sometime. Not, not because I was intimidated by him or afraid of him, but just because I, I didn't think a Muslim would have any interest in the gospel. You know, we began to talk. The Holy, you know how the Holy Spirit does. He sort of prompts you. His name was Hassan. We began to talk, and Hassan gave me an opportunity to share the gospel with him. After about 25 minutes or so on his front porch, Hassan bowed his head and trusted Christ as his Savior. Now listen, God can save anybody. Muslims, Hindus, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, unchurched, non-religious, atheists, God can save anyone. Anyone. Notice a second thought. Here it is. Here it is. Number two, God is at work in our difficult moments. Look what he says. He says in verse number 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten, notice, in my bonds. In my bonds. When when had Paul begotten Onesimus? Not door-to-door soul winning, when he had all that freedom. He hadn't begotten him when he stood at the pulpit and he preached and he gave an invitation freely and folks came forward and folks tried. No, he had begotten Onesimus in his bonds. In other words, understand what's happening here. No doubt, no doubt, Paul's imprisonment was an attempt by Satan. It was designed by Satan to silence Paul's witness. But is that what happened? Not on your life. Now perhaps maybe Paul wasn't able to witness to as many people as he could ever, as he would have. If he had freedom. But you better believe that every person that came in contact with him, even when he was in bonds, heard a gospel message and a gospel presentation. And here's what we need to understand. Listen, God is at work at all times. Some of you are dealing with some things that are really, really hard and really, really difficult. You're discouraged, you're frustrated, you're upset, and you wonder, where is God? I just want you to know something. God is there and God is at work. God is using those things. One of these days you can look back perhaps and you can say, hey, God did this when I was in bonds. God did this when I was imprisoned. God did this when I was in the midst of great difficulty. Because God delights, God specializes in doing things, in working, even in our most difficult moments. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I hope this appeal that we find from Paul has been as helpful to you and inspiring really to you as it has been to me. I've been so taken by this text. It's been, it's been good for me to study it and to figure out exactly what Paul is saying here. And I think there's some great lessons that we can learn. And may God help us to apply what we find here. As you think about, as you think about your life and you think about your interactions with people, perhaps you've fallen into the trap of just demanding certain things be done. Just do it because I said so. I just have to tell you, there's a better way. There's a better way. Love respect, mutual admiration for one another. Appeal to that instead. As we think about, as we think about 
The appeal Paul makes. Oh, we're so encouraged to be reminded of these thoughts. God can save anybody. And that God is at work in our most difficult moments. You have just a moment there in the quietness of your pew to reflect. And to think about how God spoke to your heart tonight. Why don't you just tell the Lord what's on your mind? Lord, here's how you spoke to me. Here's what I'm going to do with it. With your help. By your grace. With your power. Here's how I'm going to move forward from here. May God help each and every one of us. Father, we